I've always wanted to go to space, and today is the day. I've got my stuff packed, my helmet's on, I've uh, gone to the bathroom, but I can't help but wonder, how am I gonna navigate in space when there's not really an up or down? Like, what does space travel actually entail? Where should I sleep in space? Are space beds a thing? Also, I read that there's a hotel opening in space soon. How does that work? There is so much technology designed for space use, but if I'm here on Earth, what does any of it have to do with me? Can space inventions help us here on Earth? Maybe I'm already using space inventions without even realizing. Stay tuned to learn about all of that and more. I have a guest who is one of the first ones to get the latest inventions in space technology, and he will help us dig deep into space tech. Buckle up, because here we go. The European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Hi, everyone. My name is Simon Liach. I am an inventor and YouTuber, mostly known for building different useless machines. And I am here today with Raina Kaisan. Hi, Raina. Hi, Simon. So you are a former European patent office examiner specialized in the field of aircrafts, aviation, and cosmonautics. What does a patent office examiner do exactly? As a patent examiner in the European patent office, you examine patent applications. So actually what we do is we look into applications which people send to us and we look if the potential invention is worth a patent or not. So for that, we are looking in, basically we are assessing two, besides other things, we are assessing two main aspects. Is it new what you send to us and is it inventive? So new means that it's new compared to the prior art. So compared to everything which is already there and inventive means it's an invention in terms of it has to solve a technical problem in an inventive way, which means in a, in a way which is new and not obvious. So not that someone obviously had, has thought about that. That's quite fascinating. And also the good thing is it, it, it never gets boring because you always get new ideas on your table. I feel like one of the most common space inventions that people talk about is ice cream for astronauts. Is that really a thing? And how is it different from normal ice cream? I would say it's not really a space invention because the process, how this is produced, was already known before. But it's a nice gimmick and it was actually asked for during the Apollo missions first time. So uh, this ice cream, it's made based on a process which we call freeze drying. So actually what you do is you freeze, okay, it's ice cream, so it's already frozen. So you just freeze it a bit more and then you dry it. So you dry it while it's frozen. And how can you dry it while it's frozen? You have to lower pressure so that it goes from ice directly to vapor. So it skips the, the water, liquid water. And then, so what's the benefit of that? Is it that it makes it tastier? Yeah, so actually that's exactly what it is. So imagine you cook your food just as long as it's needed to dry it, but it's water and then it will just fall apart. You will lose taste, vitamins and so on. By uh, skipping this water, liquid water, going from solid to vapor directly, you will preserve taste, you will preserve the color and also the shape and a lot of uh, 
things like vitamins. So that's a big benefit. The downside is that it takes uh, a couple of hours to produce your ice cream. So I didn't know that there were a lot of vitamins in ice cream, but uh, now now I do know that. Well, if you go for strawberry ice cream, for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love inventing things, but when I think about space, the rules are just so different. That's true. So the first thing which... I think most people think of immediately when we talk about space and Earth, the difference is that there's no gravity in space. So it's a zero gravity environment. There are also other effects like you have a variation of pressure. And this has an effect on the things we take to space and we use. For example, a shower or a toilet. You cannot use a normal toilet. You have to work with pressure and suction or also a pen, a simple pen. If you have a different pressure, it would leak. So there also you have to think of that. Talking about gravity, zero gravity, I know I read that you also had a zero G flights. Is that right? Yeah, I, I went on one of those zero G flights. It was so much fun. Like I was really, really nervous leading up to it because it makes people really nauseous and a lot of people get sick, but I did not get sick. And it was so much fun because you get to experience weightlessness. And obviously, it wasn't true zero gravity. It's not like we left Earth and it's gravitational field. It's more just like free falling for a bit. But yeah, it was it was super fun. And I can really recommend it to anybody who gets the opportunity to go. So space travel is such a different thing. Like I think most of us have seen Star Wars where Han Solo crosses galaxies at super high speeds in hyperdrive. Is that possible? Well, hyperdrive or let's say speed of light is hardly possible as long as you have static mass with you. But high speed in itself is already possible. I mean, rockets are going on very high speed. But just to go at high speed without any calculations, it's quite dangerous because there's a high possibility to have a collision with other objects in space or you will just be sucked by a black hole. So these calculations are pretty complex. For example, if we maybe you heard of this Rosetta mission. So landing on a comet, which is a needle in the in the space uh, after such a long time, uh, this is already this is based on on very complex calculations. So uh, I would not recommend to just go on high speed and fly through space. By the way, do not try this at home. Actually, I don't even know how you would, but um, maybe don't even try to try this at home is a better <laughs> warning. There is so much going on up in space, but it also all seems pretty far away. Maybe let's come back down to Earth for a bit. So speaking of positioning and navigation systems, it's interesting to see how many inventions that were originally conceived for space missions, how, how they're now a part of everyday life on Earth. Like obviously satellite navigation, but also memory foam, scratch-free lenses and filters for tap water. Yeah, true. I mean, that's a nice side effect. Let's say if there was a need, a problem identified in space, a need to solve it. And later, um, this solution could be applied on Earth. So you already mentioned the scratch-free lenses we have. This is quite interesting because this was on request for the astronauts for their visors of their space helmets. 
So the scratch-resistant glasses are based, this is based on a, on a carbon coating, so diamond, you can say diamond coating. And also there, there was a need, for example, if you walk on the moon, that you will not get uh, scratched uh, visors because of dust or stones or some particles. And then they saw that is very good. Let's port it to, um, back to the earth. So our, another example is, yes, you should also not lose your direction and get lost in space. So there are different ways to keep you on track. For example, spacecrafts and satellites, they usually have their inertial navigation system on board, a system based on different kinds of sensors. And the good thing is with this inertial system and navigation system, it's independent from external sources. So it's For example, you have your on Earth, thinking of going with your car to a friend of yours. So you have your GPS, but all of a sudden you go into a tunnel and there are no satellites and no GPS anymore. So your car is clever enough to calculate that in between where you should be based on the velocity of the car and the direction. And then at the other end of the tunnel, you get your GPS signal again. And actually a satellite is doing, or let's say if you go for space traveling, you would do the same. So every time you are on your own, you rely on your inertial navigation system just to the moment where you have an external reference. And that's for, for example, could be a star or actually a cluster of stars. And in space, we call that a star tracker. So simply said, you have a camera in your spaceship and you look into the outer space and you make pictures of stars you see and you compare the stars with a star catalog which is stored in your spaceship. With, uh, with that, then you, you know where you are and then you can go on. So that's a bit um, how you navigate through space. I mean, it's crazy that that is kind of the same way that people navigated on ships hundreds of years ago, just looking at the stars. Yeah, the difference is that you have a, now a bit better catalog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Something else that's interesting is that satellites that are in space or in orbit, at least, offer a huge amount of data that can help us keep track of what's happening on planet Earth and uh, more pressingly, how climate change is progressing. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's not new that we have satellites, for example, for weather, weather forecast. Satellites help organizing or scheduling harvesting crops. And now, as you said, also, it's more and more important now to forecast climate changes. And for that, you need to collect a lot of data and uh, satellites do help there to observe Earth and all these changes. And in fact, we, we have a whole podcast dedicated to this topic called Earth Observation for a Greener Planet, which our listeners can find on Spotify and all other major podcast platforms. Yeah, because I, I imagine it's it's everything from weather patterns, but also probably to glaciers and how they're moving and how the oceans are moving. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely uh, hard for yourself to just go out and bring a ruler and be like, is this lake, does it have more water in it or not? You maybe can do that, but I guess it's less hassle if you ask a satellite for that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so there's a lot of technology up in space, but I even read that there's going to be a hotel there too. A vacation in space. I'd be over the moon. Okay, now to myself before I go, remember to ask Ima what to pack. So what about the space hotel? Like I've been hearing about that there's going to be a hotel opening in space. Do you think it'll open up? And if it does, how would it even work? So there are different ideas, starting with a simple capsule in space. And you have also ideas which go even further, like simulating day and night, 
1G, so let's, let's say the gravity you feel on Earth. So this is quite a funny one because so some drawings look like a wheel, like a wheel of, of a bicycle. So at the outside in the uh, rim, you would live. And then in the, in the middle, you would have the sun. So everybody was looking. So this, the middle is actually where the, the sun is. So you, if you look up in this hotel, you would look into the middle of this wheel. And the wheel is turning. And because it's turning, it creates this uh, 1G. So it pushes you to the outside. And then you feel like sitting on a bench on the earth and looking, staring at the sun. I mean, it's interesting that they're inventing a space hotel and so much of it is just trying to make it feel more like Earth. Yeah, maybe because people start missing their Earth after a while. So you make want to make them feel comfortable. And the other aspect is also day and night. Because if you, if you think of the ISS, they have about 16 sun races per day. So you can imagine that would be very confusing for a lot of people to have 16 times waking up and uh, preparing your coffee and then going to sleep again. So there also you have to think about how can you simulate day and night that is more in by rhythm of what humans are used to. I think I would just said to adopt the sleeping pattern of my dog because I think she probably sleeps 16 times a day. So she would do great at the Space Hotel. So now I, I talked a lot, but what about you? I mean, Simone, you are an inventor. So what can you imagine inventing to take to space with you? Oh my God, that is, it's its so intimidating in some way to imagine inventing things for space because also you can't like try it out here on Earth necessarily. But I'm thinking if I was on a space hotel where we were living in zero or microgravity, I don't know, maybe like a little jetpack suit so I could just blow around. I think it probably wouldn't take that much because you still have air around. So you have like wind that you can create. So maybe just some USB fans attached to different parts of my body so I can just flow around and finally feel what it's like to be a bird. That sounds like a, like a nice idea. T talking about your, your ideas and brainstorming, I reckon many of your listeners are interested in inventing things themselves. So when you develop like you just explained some new idea, new things. So do you have a clear outcome in mind and you kind of re-engineer it backwards or what are you doing? So it, it's not usually a clear outcome as in this is what it's going to look like, but it's clear in terms of the problem that I want to solve. So for me, I usually find an everyday problem that I, I want to solve and something like, oh, I have a hard time getting up in the morning. How can I get up in the morning better? And I mean, what I did for that was I built an alarm clock that slapped me in the face with a rubber hand. I saw that one. Very which, good. I will order yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably will never make it to market. I mean, and that was obviously more just for fun and because I thought it would be an interesting visual. But then now if I'm, if I'm developing something and it's something that I actually want to use in my everyday life, then you have to iterate so many times. So it's like, okay, I find a problem that I want to solve. I have a potential solution. I try it out. I prototype it. That solution brings on more problems. I try to solve those and prototype it. And, and I always think of inventing, it's not a straight line. I think of it like a spiral, but that gets smaller and smaller, hopefully, because in the end, the problems that you're solving are going to be so small that you're like, okay, Now I'm almost Reminds there. me of the design thinking process, which is also very iterative. And you also have the customer in mind and you try to make it better and better until you come to the product you are happy with. 
I'm very fortunate in that I only think of myself as the customer. And I'm like, if I like it, other people probably like it too. So I'm usually uh, my best and harshest client and customer because I'm like, this isn't good enough. Try harder, Simone. And I'm like, damn it. Tried so hard. <laughs> actually, this is these are the inventions what patent examiners are actually looking at and uh, assess and look if they are new and inventive. Maybe one of your inventions will be on one of our desks in the future and we will look into new and inventiveness. All right. I know my astronaut training was um, <clears throat> a bit different than what the real thing is or what they do at ESA. But with so many people wanting to become astronauts and such few vacancies, I wonder what else I could do to have a career in space. I mean, you made space tech into your career choice, and I can imagine that many of our listeners who like space may consider that as a career as well. What would you have to say to them? Yes. So if you look at space and space science, we are now a step further to what we were uh, years ago and then there where we are years ago and years ago. So at the beginning, you had the pure what I studied aerospace engineers. So because you were just happy that this bomb you created, this rocket, which is actually a bomb with a shell, is making it to the moon and back, or at least to the moon, sometimes back. So, but now we are we are at a different stage. So now uh, space, if you look, for example, uh, the, the astronauts, ESA is uh, recruiting. At the, in the beginning, it, uh, classically, there were test pilots and so on. But now they are also asking for for doctors, for, for different people. So now it's a, we are further. And also in this career in space, I don't, I say you don't need to study aerospace engineering. There are now really a lot of different profiles needed for um, European Space Agency. If you look at what they recruit, it's from IT to, as I said, to doctors. So there is not a specific profile, but you should be interested in space. That helps a lot. But I've got one more quick question for you before we finish. I saw that one of your invention was about notes. I'm curious how would, what note or what message would you leave in your spaceship for the next astronaut who comes by? Oh, if I could leave like a post-it note with a message? You know, I would probably write something along the lines of like, leave before they find you. Or, or, or something else just to freak people out a little bit. Uh, yeah, what, what about you? <laughs> I would think of something inspiring. Maybe, oh, why not the title of this episode? Houston, we have solutions. Raina, thank you so much for coming me on this trip. And uh, yeah, we both made it back to safety. So we both get a gold star. I am sure our listeners have learned a lot. I mean, I definitely have everything from how varied technology is and how different technologies interact, how even very simple inventions can revolutionize the world and, of course, help mitigate climate change and make Earth an even better place. And as always, just how much fun it is to invent things and see them in the world or out of this world. Thank you. It was a pleasure for me and bye-bye. Take care. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation at epo.org, or on your favorite podcast platform. Let's talk innovation.